This is the Great IO Get Together, originally recorded on YouTube Live. Although you can listen to the show as a podcast, you only get the full experience by visiting thegig.online/youtube. Welcome to the Great IO Get Together. On tonight's show, quips and queries about the world of work as IO psychology comes alive. Now, please welcome our hosts, Richard and Tara. Thank you so much, Larry, and uh, welcome everybody to Great IO Get Together number 12, Style or Substance, Evaluating Inclusive Healthy Workplace Claims. My name's Richard. This is my co-host, Tara. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on this first episode of our 2022 season. Uh, if you'd like to be in the loop for the next, make sure you click the subscribe, uh, click subscribe and the notification bell. Uh, and uh, join us our, sh our show's Discord. Join us on our email notification list. Lots of ways to connect. Uh, you can find details about all of that on thegig.online. All of our regular shows, and this one is no exception, have two halves. In the first half, we have a little fun. In the second half, we get a little more serious, all with our guests of the day. Uh, top of today's uh, show is going to be our first case study deep dive, uh, and we'll have two guest discussants. Our first is Dr. Victoria Mattingly, CEO and founder of Mattingly Solutions. She goes by Dr. V. She bartended throughout undergrad, got into IO when two IO psychologists literally walked into her bar in 2008, and her experience in the service industry led to research interests in how organizations can provide their people with the tools they need to manage stressful working environments, which she now applies to the context of building more diverse equitable, inclusive organizations. Welcome to the show, Dr. V. And can we get more story about this bar? Of course. <laughs> so I was working out in Portland, Oregon. Two IO psychologists walk into my bar, tell me that they're helping a hospital make their employees and doctors and, and nurses happier to keep them around. I was uh -huh. like, what is this field? Sign me up. Like I can get paid to like make employees' lives better. And then I uh, volunteered in Leslie Hammer's lab out in Portland State, got an internship, got to grad school, and now I'm here. So it's all thanks to, to bartending. I, I owe my career in IO. Wow, that's that's fantastic. Uh, and so many IO stories start with serendipity, too. So that's <laughs> among among many, many like... Uh... Our second guest today is going to be Nikki Blacksmith, Dr. Nikki Blacksmith, co-founder and CEO of Blackhoff Behavior Science, adjunct faculty member at American University in Washington, D.C., she works with venture capitalists and entrepreneurs to decrease the startup failure rate and close the funding gap. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thank you for having me. So today's show is called Case Convince Me. Uh, each of our guests has brought a story from the news about an organization making claims about how they've contributed to building an inclusive, healthy workplace. Uh, for each case, our guest is going to briefly describe the situation, then they're going to make an argument about whether the claim is performative, uh, meaning it's all talk, or with purpose, meaning it's an authentic effort to really change things uh, for the better. Then we'll try to convince Tara and me of uh, their side. We'll decide who's right in a friendly discussion. Uh, you can also find links to these case studies in the description of the YouTube video, uh, so you can read the whole situations for yourself. Uh, and if you're not watching live, you might even pause and read the cases before resuming and listening to the discussion. If you are watching us live, though, uh, please share your own thoughts and comments, which I will share live with our guests. You can do this either in the on-air channel of the show's Discord or in the YouTube chat. Uh, after the mid-show break, we're going to chat a bit more with our guests about uh, their work as startup founders and uh, see what advice they might have for people hoping to follow in their impressive footsteps. So everybody ready? Ready. ready All right. Uh, then I, you know, I'll toss it straight to Victoria. Let's uh, let's hear your case. So I'm going to talk about a, a case study that's commonly cited in the space I work in. I do diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and uh, it's it's in response to what happened in uh, 2020, and most specifically uh, right after George Floyd was murdered. And uh, there were so many statements that went out. All these companies putting all these different statements about they're taking a stand against uh, racism, that they're going to commit to do X, Y, Z. Uh, and a lot of people and a lot of companies that did this, you know, they were doing it more for PR and more for performative and more to like have a voice in the conversation because it was too risky not to have a voice in the conversation. And so uh, Ben and Jerry's is often cited as like, here is a statement that actually has some teeth to it and is going to cause real result in some real change. And so um, we'll have to share the the link, but it, it's there. The post was silence is not an option. And they, you know, call out, you know, white supremacy explicitly. And that's a part of the kudos 
approach they got were using the words. And like in my work, I, I'm fighting with a client right now to use the word bias in their bias training. Like, and so the fact they even use the term white supremacy um, and they have, you know, they're calling upon the president, upon Congress, upon uh, making national task forces, the Department of Justice. So like big systemic changes. And so I would argue, you know, what they're doing uh, is beyond performative. Um, and so that's that's the stance I'm taking. So that's the case. That's my stance. Uh, I don't know if we could get to Nikki now or I like make more of my case. So I, I've, I've never done a book debate before. Full disclosure, so. <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't need full. I don't even know what the rules are called. We don't, there's no rules. So yeah, Nikki, if you want to jump in, go for it. <laughs> okay, I think for one, everything Victoria said was right. I think it's great uh, what they did and the statement that they put out, especially given the words that they used. Um, but I'm a little skeptical and more pessimistic, and it feels more performative to me. Until Ben and Jerry's gets like an ice cream with a, a black person on the cover, besides so Jimmy Fallon or whatever other talk shows they use, I'm not going to be convinced. <laughs> so I want to see real action um, from them. So I fully agree with what you're saying, Nikki, but I still... I still believe that there's more behind the scenes that we're not seeing. And so without like us going in and collecting the data, I did try to do some research, like, okay, what is happening inside to get at what you're getting, especially where IOs, that's what we're thinking. Like how, how is it, how's the employee experience going? How are they measuring or making progress towards DEI goals and, and outcomes? Um, and so I did do a little digging and I did find that they have a very, like a surprisingly diverse board of directors. Um, and a lot of research shows when you get diversity and representation, most importantly, at that senior level, you start seeing those outcomes and the benefits of DEI that so many companies are aiming to achieve. And so I can't say definitively with hard evidence or data, but I would argue that this statement underneath it, there is, you know, real purposeful, strategic DEI work happening that makes a statement like this that has teeth like stand up on its own two legs, not to have too many body metaphors in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did a little bit of research too, and there were some articles about um, people calling them hypocrites because they don't um, make the same statements towards other racial minorities and things that are going on that are similar. So I, I think it's a good start. Let's just say that. <laughs> I'm not convinced yet, though. Yeah, I, it, this work is all like a journey and it's never done. Like, and it's so funny when companies want certain interventions or certain things you come in and do and it's like, but you have to continue doing it. And I think even though this is a better statement. The point is, regardless, it could be the best statement in the world, but you have to continue working at it and following through both internally and externally. And I think that's why a lot of these statements were performing. They were just happening external. Or dump, like companies are dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars in the local community, which is wonderful. But then what also are you doing for your people internally? And so... So yeah, I think we maybe ended up in the middle. I don't, I don't know. I think we know. I'm staying firm to my side. I'm staying firm to my side. I want to know who won or lost. <laughs> um, so do you think it's worse to have a statement and not back it up with any action or to have no statement at all? Which is worse? Well, if we go based on the psychological research, we know that surveying employees and then not doing anything about it is worse. So let's apply that same logic here. That's my opinion, at least. <laughs> yeah, there was, there's been a lot of backlash to empty statements and they would have done less harm uh, if they're trying, if the company or leaders are trying to protect themselves, if they didn't put out a statement at all. Um, yeah, I will say Ben and Jerry's is probably one of the best statements I did read during that. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's is kind of a, it's a very unique organization. They have, they have a long history of social activism. Uh, I remember, you know, a few years ago, they, there was a big news story because they wanted to withdraw their stores out of uh, uh, the Palestinian territories due to uh, uh, concerns about uh, human rights violations and such. And they made a very big stance about it and literally tried to shut down. I think they actually did shut down uh, the franchisee that was operating there. 
Um, they've done this in a, in a wide variety of contexts, but I, I wonder if they can get away with it because they're very, the very core of the organization is that is based on these social justice ideals. And if, if it's culturally so deeply embedded that it's actually an advantage to them to, uh, to do flashier things, I guess, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's such an odd, it's such an interesting organization. They don't have the same sort of, uh, corporate overhead that a lot of others do. I, I know they've, they've had a lot of, um, conflict with their parent company because of those kind of policies. Uh, uh, Unilever, I think, uh, when they purchased them, there was a, there was a lot of discussion about, uh, oh, is Unilever going to, you know, push down all of this, uh, history of activism and, and, uh, 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 the good things that they're doing, uh, and we've seen conflicts between them since then. So obviously, they're still they're still doing it. But is it because it's an asset for their sales? Like, if things turned around for Ben and Jerry's, uh, and they, I, I can't imagine it happening just culturally. But if uh, if that company uh, moved away from its social justice mission and it wasn't no longer profitable to do these kind of things, would they? I don't know. That's a pretty huge question about whether anyone does anything if it hurts their bottom line. I mm. think that's, uh, you know, probably no is the answer to that question. Uh, but, you know, Ben and Jerry's has a very significant social activism history. And there's a, there's a difference between history and current affairs. And mm. I think of a company like Whole Foods as well, which has a very different history than current situation. Uh, and so how much how much can you ride the goodwill of the past um, when you're not making those similar good decisions in the future or in the present? another thing to factor in here hmm. so what do we decide are we do we have to vote now <laughs> uh, <laughs> victoria wants to win yeah so yeah across the sum total of that is this i'm questioning the whole premise uh is is hey, voting about again <laughs> i don't know so is are they making a legitimate effort for the greater good of their organization and society. Maybe that's like, the... Do they believe what they're saying? Do they believe what they're saying? I mean, yes. I'll vote yes. Yeah. I think I vote yes also. Yeah. <laughs> I'm holding my stance. <laughs> I mean, I would add a caveat. Yes, they probably believe what they're saying. Is it is it like the optimal strategy and, and could they do better is a different question. Yeah. But you know the the stuff I was uh, reading, looking looking into them a little bit more. There's uh, a, a lot of the conflict, or like, seemingly most of the conflict that they create with Unilever because of their social activism actually comes at the board level. Uh, like so, it comes from the leadership directly, which I, I think I at least personally interpret to mean it's more authentic. Like it's the people on the board actually making these decisions. It's not like a marketing manager coming in and saying, hey, we really got to go do this. You know, we really got to put out a statement and that's the end of it. it. It really seems to come from leadership. Well, and they've been doing this work. I think they started their like racial equity work back in 2016 and it's still not that long ago, but mm. it's that's well before 2020. Mm. <laughs> it's time doesn't make any sense in this pandemic world, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm convinced. Yeah. Next one? Yeah. All right. All right, I had a tough time and went back and forth on this one, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I did the case study where um, the NASDAQ is requiring that uh, the public companies have a woman and a racial minority on their board. Um, and I think this is a great move, and I think it's in the right direction. Um, I just question it based on past and similar types of industries that have done things like this. So if you look at the venture capital industry, a few years ago, they started getting a lot of really bad publicity because only 3% of women were getting funding compared to like all the, you know, billions of dollars going to white men. And so some venture capitalists, they were saying that the problem was because there was no women decision makers on the board. Um, and a lot of women, um, so they started, you know, hiring a woman to <laughs> fill the quota. And eventually a lot of them left because the environment wasn't conducive. Um, you know, they, it wasn't a real, like, effort. So it ended up, you know, I think backfiring. But good for women, too, I think, because they those women left and started new venture capital firms that 
power funding women, but I just have seen the history of stuff like this. And when it's enforced and it doesn't come intrinsically, it seems like it doesn't always pan out the way it should. And having kind of that, people don't like to be told what to do. I feel like there should be incentive instead of like a punishment almost. Like if you do have a diverse board, you know, then we can celebrate you and, and do other things versus you have to have this. And if you don't, um, because I think they're going to resist it no matter what. And we already seen, I think 17 states or so are, um, you know, arguing against this and, and challenging it. So I go performative on this one. Again, I'm the curmudgeon of the group. <laughs> oh, I'm so, I'm so surprised you went performative. Uh, <laughs> Okay, I was ready to debate the others. This is what debates are. You got to be prepared for whatever you get thrown to, to you. So, so I got the S and P five hundred and the Nasdaq confused, and I was trying to do my research. And I was so I was looking up S and P five hundred, and I was like, "Wow, women hold at least thirty percent of seats on the majority of S and P five hundred boards, right?" And so I don't think they even have those restrictions in place. So, or those uh, mandates in place that the NASDAQ uh, is enforcing. And so I think it's it's already working. And this final one, this final push, are these companies that are still the ones that are fighting against this. Like really, you can't get one woman on there, like not even one, you know? So I think, I think everything is rising. There's more women on boards in general. I think stakeholders and shareholders are demanding it in a way they never have before. Um, and so I don't think it, if, if we started here, it would, I think it would be performative, but the fact, I think it really is just trying to get that final nudge to get the curmudgeon companies that don't want any women on their boards to finally like, you know, move on and, and get it done. Yeah. I just worry, I want to see the women get on the board and actually have decision-making power. So just because they're on the board doesn't mean that the others in the room are allowing them to be part of that conversation and be inclusive. Um, and I think a lot of women face that problem when they are um, on boards and stuff. They, their voice isn't as loud as it should be um, because it's, you know, they're, there's, they're the minority. Well, they, yeah. And that and that's where equity happens. Equity doesn't happen by the sheer presence. That's diversity. That's diversifying the board, one woman on the board, great. But like to actually ensure that voices are being heard and that it is one tenth of the power and one tenth of the room in that voice, you have to build in equitable policies, you know, and, and I as a relatively new business owner, like all the legal paperwork of like just establishing the business and we got to have who has votes and who doesn't have votes and all these things. So like this stuff is already like commonplace. And so apply it to this and add an addendum. And it's like, okay, a woman on the board and shared decision-making power and, you know, like putting X, Y, Z in place. And I don't know. So I still say, I'm going back. I'm going over to your side, I guess. But I still think it's purposeful. It just could be better. It could be better. Just like Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Uh, we have a, I don't know if, I don't know if anybody knows this, this reference, but one of our listeners commented that this case seems to mesh well with the Brian Flores lawsuit. It was a, a coach of a former coach of the Dolphins. I don't know if any of you know that case at all. That sounds like a sports reference. It does. I I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, as far uh, I don't know a lot about it, um, but I know that uh, Brian Flores uh, was uh, uh, fired um, despite the fact that he was posting a very similar kind of run uh, in terms of success for his team uh, as the previous person that he had uh, replaced. Um, and there's all sorts of uh, discuss there was discussion about how uh, throughout that there were a couple of efforts um, from others after he got hired, there were effort by other teams to try to recruit him. but he he says he that none of the interviews were real, that it was essentially performative, like, oh, yeah, we're trying to recruit the hot minority mm -hmm. coach, but no one actually meant it, that it was it was mm -hmm. all an act. Um, but yeah, that that kind of uh, uh, that kind of posturing, I mean, I, honestly, it, 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 
it just reminds me that in all these situations, what you're talking about in here, that there is real human cost associated with this kind of performance too. Yeah, the, the other thing it raises is the idea that metrics drive behavior, but you have to choose those metrics really carefully. So if you say you have to have a woman on the board, great, fine, a woman is sitting in the room, but no one listens to her, no one takes her seriously. Or you say you have to consider diverse candidates for this opening, well, fine, we'll, we'll interview a bunch of people, but we're really not taking any of them seriously. Right? So this is the the natural unintended consequence of setting these metrics that aren't exactly what mm. we want. They're the first step to take it the next step further and and explain or or set incentives. I think incentives have already been mentioned um, that not only is the person in the room, but their opinion is valuable and they are taken just as seriously as ever else in the room. Well, I think it's a huge testament to the importance of change management to any sort of policy change to any sort of intervention. Like it's one thing if it if it works like but it's another thing to actually make it work and i feel like that's that role of the person changing that policy the role of senior leaders the role of the consultant if, if someone's coming in and helping with that externally and i feel like a lot of times change management gets lost in the in the process it's not in the sow typically it's not in the scope of work internally right and so um so yeah i think i think it's it can be purposeful, but only as much as the implementation. And a lot of times that gets lost and they think policy's written and my work here's done, and that's not the case. And by within the organization too, just because it's a policy doesn't mean that people within the organization support it. Yep. So I, I got there's a little more clarification from our from our uh, listener. There is a rule in place. I assume this is an NFL rule where teams hiring a coach are required to interview at least one minority candidate. So it's the Rooney rule, and Art Rooney ah. was the first owner of the Steelers. So it's a, this is a DEI and a Pittsburgh reference. So oh. all of this. So the Rooney <laughs> rule, yeah, you have to interview at least one minority candidate for any head coach position. Mm. Uh, but Stephanie Johnson did a fascinating study uh, uh, looking at if you had four candidates and one person was in the minority, the chances of that person getting hired are like very very low probability like almost almost zero so uh, like it's not solving and then that's also what you mentioned before which about like the dialing it in and like oh i interviewed this person so i could check the box on the rooney rule and mm. so it's just another example of poor implementation and also yeah. it's just a start it's we should not be done and say did the rooney rule and now we're at equity it's just not the case so that's apparently what's what's different in this particular case is that uh, they the Giants, who is who the interview was with, already had hired a head coach when they interviewed him. So it was purely for rule compliance. And he says he has documentation that it was just a, a performative at the maximum degree. Like there was never any intent. And that's, oh, wow. yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> so much work to do. <laughs> I think. What are we voting about again? Uh, Whatever purposeful. Ah, the NASDAQ rule specifically. Yeah. I'm going to vote informative. Did, is there still a pro purpose <laughs> arguer? <laughs> Didn't everybody switch to performative? <laughs> you can pick whatever you want. I would say it's performative <laughs> with change management. It's, sorry, ah. it's purposeful with change management. Mm -hmm. Purposeful with change management. There's caveats. I think the intent was purposeful. I don't know if it's actually going to play out like that, though. Hmm. I'm pessimistic. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm pessimistic also. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm voting for all performance, alas. So, Nikki, you won. Well, you won too because you changed. So, because <laughs> <laughs> of you. <laughs> uh, so yeah so yeah we're 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 all winners i guess so, um well, well great that was that was a, a fantastic discussion um we're gonna take a five minute break and then we're gonna come back have some uh interviews with our guests after that so uh stick around and we are back thank you for joining us in our second half uh this half we're going to uh ask some questions of our uh, our discussants today um i'm actually going to start with uh victoria uh, kind of both of you, actually, if you want to both, uh, Nikki, if you want to jump in too. Um, both of you are IO entrepreneurs. Um, that's already a pretty rare concept <laughs> these days. 
Um, it seems like the IO firms often get, uh, as soon as they get even uh, moderately successful, get sucked up into these other consulting firms. So to maintain uh, a, a, a small business is, is fantastic. Um, you're also, though, uh, women leaders in spaces really heavily dominated by men. Uh, you know, not not just in the I.O. space, but uh, like venture capital, for example, uh, is overwhelmingly men. Um, so what what unique challenges have you both faced uh, as women entrepreneurs running your own firms? Uh, How do you work through those to you know achieve the success that you have? Uh, yeah, Victoria, I'd love to start with you. Yeah, so I started my company in August of 2019 and. I was still felt like a freelancer for those first few months. And it was in January, 2020. I'm like, okay, I'm going all in. I want to like build a company and build products and services and a team and all the things. And so I went to a accelerator, like a pre-seed, like startup, like program. And it's pretty intense. And you have to like hit all these milestones and, um, and every week you would, like sit on the stage, make your pitch and get feedback from like other entrepreneurs or like mm. your potential investors and like people who know how this all works or whatever. And I kept getting this feedback like, well, you're a this is a lifestyle business. They kept calling like my work and like our work is I was like a lifestyle business. I'm like, what are you talking about? How are you going to scale? Like with assessments, with technology, with service, like they couldn't wrap their brain around it. I think part of it was the fact that I wasn't like trying to build the next tech company. They didn't like how my name of the company was Mattingly Solutions. They wanted it to be called like, you know, uh, DEIFI or something, you know, like they, they, cause then you can't sell that. And the fact that I don't want to sell my company, maybe, maybe a few years, many, many years down the line until like Sir Teresa and I can retire and, and, you know, whatever, but that's not the goal of this. The goal is to do the work and have the impact and build the team. And so like, it's felt really good to find that and not stay in that incubator and they would have taken like a chunk of equity. So I'm so glad I didn't stay <laughs> and I, and I didn't fit. They couldn't like see outside of their scope of like, well, it's, this type of company and this type of model. And I didn't fit in the model. And I always got asked the question like, well, who do you serve? I'm like any organization that has this problem that I am suited to solve, which boggled their mind, you know, but like we're IOs, like we're not trained to do industry work. We're trained to do organizational work. And so I think to answer the question, it's just kind of staying true to like what my vision for the company was and not taking the good advice and just leaving the rest of it out because we're trained as scientists and building a company is so much there's so much art and choice and like just blank canvas to it um and so i think just trusting what what matters and staying true to that and that that's that's been my experience but i'm so curious to hear about yours as well nikki yeah mine's been a little different i think we went into it knowing you were gonna have obstacles. Um, the reason we started the company to begin with was to reduce that funding gap that I mentioned earlier, that 98% of all the funding is going to men and even less to, you know, racial minorities. So, you know, and I, when I started, we talked to a lot of venture capitalists kind of get their feedback and surprise, surprise to any IO, this is not going to surprise you. They were like, oh, we don't need assessments. This, you know, my gut instinct is right on track you know, like they and they didn't like the idea of that you know their decisions are being held biased and so we knew we were gonna have to basically change minds and ideas before we were able to implement our product so we started targeting venture capitalists that actually had um values that aligned with ours um instead of kind of going after the big traditional ones um which has been helpful but it's definitely sometimes feel like you get in that room with a, a male dominated group and they're like, why are you here? <laughs> like, they don't even like look at you um, or they treat you like a child or whatever. And, you know, I think I got a little bit of training of that when I worked for the DOD. So I'm pretty resistant and <laughs> maybe, like, able to just, you know, ignore it and just kind of make it, you know, laugh about it and be like this is so ridiculous and i'm gonna figure out how to fix it um little do they know that you know i'm coming back <laughs> <laughs> the so one thing that sticks out to me in in both of your just your descriptions is really about uh mission so the 
you know, the goal in, in that incubator that Victoria was describing, I, I'm going to guess that they were pretty closely aligned to your traditional capitalistic goals, which is get as big as you can, as fast as you can and sell out to the highest bidder. But I don't, I don't hear that theme in what you're talking about. Uh, I, I'm just, do you think that, um, I mean, where do you think that comes from? Is that from being an IEO and just valuing science or is there more to it than that? Do you think? So I think, I think part of it's an IO and it's, it's funny, like, I very intentionally chose psychology like as an undergrad and I knew I wanted to get my PhD in psychology and it's just funny thinking now I'm a business owner like, everyone's getting your MBA and I'm like damn it that MBA really would have came in handy alongside <laughs> everything else I'm doing but you know that's how it goes um but oh my goodness I totally lost my train of thought what was the original question Richard <laughs> <laughs> uh, about mission and identity and how you oh, there we go. being a psychologist thank <laughs> you that's part of it another part of it is like trying to really practice what we preach as ios but also mm. as someone who's not yeah. super capitalistically driven like our first value on our company website is like we care about people and profits in that order and the only reason profits is on there is we need to exist and like pay our people and and do our work right and so so trying to defy like what it really means to like have a successful business. And that doesn't mean growing 10 times in the first five years. That doesn't mean selling to the highest bidder. Like, I genuinely want to do this work. And sometimes I think about if entrepreneur is even the right name for what I do rather than just like an IO business owner, because I'm not inventing some new product or some new thing that doesn't exist out there. I'm taking our skill set is IOs. And it just so happened for me, the best way for me to maximize my potential and what I want to do as an IO psychologist just happened to be running my own business because I don't have anyone or anything in my way anymore. And that's the nice thing about being CEO, you get to do what you want. And then part of that is the work, but part of that's the team we're building, right? And it's why even though I'm a DEI firm and they gave me that advice of like, oh, you can't sell that name. You're Maddenly Solutions. That's your name. It's like, yeah, but there's McKinsey and there's PricewaterhouseCoopers and there's Deloitte and there's all these consulting firms named after men. And I love men. Don't get me wrong. But like, I love representation as well, you know? So like, where are these women consulting firms that, mm. you know, like there's so like, I did that very intentionally because we have to be this example. And that was the most frustrating advice when I was getting started out of like, where is this role model? Where is this like role model that I can like, I'm so good with blueprints. Like, this is how you get your degree. This is how you get a promotion. And you're like, where's my mom? It's like, she's like, you have to be that. You know that, right? And I'm like, I knew you were going to say that, but it's just important to like put it out there and try to defy the stereotypes and the, the numbers and just hit it on the head and like be be that leader and try to build that company that defies these like traditional approaches to grow, 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 money, money, money. But I still want to grow and make money too. Like, I did, I want to be clear about that. Like that's still an important thing. It just, I care more about the impact than anything. Well, uh, here, Nikki, let me throw a, a identity question to you. Um, so one, one thing I'd really love to hear about is, is specifically why in your your organization is your uh, Blackhawk Behavior Science. It is so forward with the behavior science. Uh, even, I mean, in most in most uh, IO related consultancies, and especially when they get acquired by a group like an you know, like an Aon or uh, some other one word name that doesn't mean anything other than a person's probably a man's name. Uh, why why focus so strongly on the the scientific? aspects of it i mean does that does that help or hurt sales would you say i'm really i'm just really curious how how you position that well there's two reasons why i did it one was um business reasons and yes it mm. is i think um it does help so it's a differentiator for us a lot of people you know when i first started io psychology people were like what's io and now they're like oh my god you're an io that's so cool like i love that stuff so it is the tide is changing in terms of people knowing and understanding what that term means. Hmm. So we wanted to put, you know, science first and, and show that that was our differentiator. Like we can make really cool user-friendly 
beautiful looking stuff, but there is actual science behind it. It's not just, you know, um, and I think that's what's happening in the assessment industry right now. We have the data scientists creating really cool looking assessments, but no IO psychologists, and then the IO psychologists creating their traditional assessments without the like thought about user experience and aesthetics, um, you know, the gaming aspect, whatever you might. Um, at least that was a few years ago. I don't know how it's like now, but that was part of the thing was like, let's do it right. And let's make that our big differentiator. Let's bring the science and the like data science and like technology aspect of it and, you know, blend it together. Um, the other reason was selfish. Uh, I love science and that is kind of like the first like love of, of IO that I have. I actually was a consultant at Gallup for a while. And the reason I left was to go back and get my PhD to do research. And I thought I was going to go into academia um, most of the time. And then somewhere mm -hmm. along the way that changed. I think I saw that problem and I, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I felt like I needed to interject and solve it. But it was, it's very much a part of my identity. Like mm -hmm. we as a company are we value the science just as much as the practice. So we tell our clients and potential clients that our model is a science practice model. We do research. It might not be valuable until 10 years, but in 10 years, like our products are going to be so cutting edge compared to everyone else because we've been doing the science all along. It's not going to pay off immediately, but it's a brilliant long-term strategy, if you ask me. Um, and I want to create it, and maybe in the future, it's like a nonprofit subsidiary something, but basically a research institution. Um, I mm -hmm. don't feel like I fit in anywhere in the IO world. Like, I don't really want to be in the consultant world. Like, I don't feel like I really fit in the academia world, but I want to do science. I want to do like real science, not like product development research or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess I just have to make my own space. And I feel like there's a lot of other people like me in IO that want to do the research and like really rigorously. And I'm building that space for them. So mm. that's why I did it. But yeah, differentiator big time. I think the <laughs> thoughts about IO psychologists are definitely changing um, compared to earlier in my career. It makes me sound. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that reminds me, there are, I, there may be a couple of examples. Because uh, I know like uh, Humbro has a lot <laughs> of that kind of model. Um, and uh, PDRI, when it existed, uh, also had that model. Um, do you think uh, in your nonprofit vision of, a, of an IO firm, are you seeing like getting grants and all that kind of stuff, like that kind of research? Yeah, actually, we're doing some of that stuff already. Um, oh, wow. We're um, preparing with a, a partner organization mm. a grant for a federal research project. Um, it wasn't anything applied, but it would have informed a lot of the work that we do. So it was mm. really cool. Um, we're working on that. Um, we also actually have two like science research projects going on that have nothing to do with our products or anything like that. Um, and mm. we plan on publishing them. It's part of who we are as a company um, and it builds our credibility. We've had venture capitalists tell us that they've worked with us because we look, at least from what they saw on you know, the internet, that we look like we know what we're talking about, that we have a certain expertise that other people don't have. And so also being the visibility chair way back in the day um, of PSYOP, I feel a certain obligation to push forward the IO psychology um, and get it out there and, and really be, um, kind of get it to be, you know, a household term that everybody understands. And having, you know, I do things like in my blogs, I'll link back to PSYOP or link to other IO psychologists that are doing their work and specifically say like, this is an industrial organizational psychologist and here's our research. So for me, it's very important um, for the, the field, selfishly for me and also for our business. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, I, I love when you said, Nikki, how you're making that space. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I can like stoke that fire. I love that so much. I love it. And I say this, I say similar things to all the IOs and like, I have a lot of students that reach out a lot, um, which I love. I love having those conversations. Um, but you know, how do I get into, into DEI? And so like, I feel like there is such a great space that can be made and that, and I'm, 
I'm hoping to make with my company with like this intersection of DEI and IO. And it really is, and it's in our marketing, it's in our frameworks. And then all the work we do, we help them bring more scientific rigor to the space. And that's our differentiator. That's our unique value proposition. And uh, we don't even do a training without collecting some sort of data first. Even if it's like a one or two item survey, it's not psychometrically valid, right? But it's a needs assessment to make sure whatever we're going to be helping them do that we make sure it's the right thing you know and it, it's it's so funny because i laugh because you know ios you can't i still can't get my dissertation published because it wasn't fancy enough you need all the studies and all the hlm and the SEM and all the things you know to be like a good study but the data that companies need is so straightforward like how do we get these means and then here's the fancy part we split them by subgroups and we see how these different experiences of different identity groups, like, and are, are those significant? Like that's stats 101, you know, but like they get so much value from that and the way that IOs can interpret that. I think that's a really important piece too. The science is one thing, but how do we then interpret it and, and share that science in a way that actually relates to what they care about, what they can do about it, you know, what what is, you know, how it's going to operate in their organization, why they should care about it, you know? And so I feel like the science is a huge, is a huge part of everything that's embedded in our company and it is a value prop and it is, you know, it has gotten us business and what we wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, and then, oh, there was another point about, um, I can't remember the other point I was going to make, but if it comes back to me, I'll share it. Science <laughs> um, with inside of business is the data. Get an amazing data um, that you wouldn't be able to normally collect um, if you weren't working with, you know, these companies and partners and places like that. So exactly. Thank you for bringing that. So that data piece and like, how can we contribute back to science as well? So we use the science in the work. I also use science like evidence-based strategies. We do a lot of intervention work. I want to make sure, like, all right. If we're going to spend all this time and energy and resources building a bias training, you better believe we're going to use some evidence-based strategies to actually move the needle on this as opposed to like, you know, the off the shelf, whatever, all the bazillion bias trainings out there right now. Um, so, so absolutely. And then like the contributing back to science. So I love that y'all are doing grants, Nikki. And like, I love that how you're position as like a research body, like before anything else. And we're trying to stay in with that as well. And so we actually, it's super exciting. Uh, my team, it's Madden Solutions and then Nick Salter from Hofstra University. Um, we made it to the final round of the visionary grant um, for a PSYOP. It's a hundred thousand dollar grant to like, you know, contribute to the future of work and it's visionary, but it's all about all this data we're swimming in, like you mentioned, and we're like, we can build really cool open source tools that like leaders and employees can use now. And then we just get the data and then use that data to then feed back into this, like asking research questions and getting samples. And then you could check the box of like, oh, I want to do future research. There's a sample that's not your site 100 or your biz 100 pool, right? And so it's like, be having this opportunity to be creative, to get still do research still get the grants still do the work where i would otherwise be doing it in academia because i like you nikki wanted i flip-flop every single semester in grad school i'm going academic i'm going to apply academic or applied and i feel like i still am really a scientist practitioner even though like i go to work in this like practitioner building every day like doing both and it makes our businesses better it makes us better ios like the science i can't i can't bragging up about the importance of that to the business structure. I, you know, I, I think both your responses really highlight a really, a really important point that we, we are ideally all scientists practitioners. And at the same time, people often conflate scientists with person publishing boxes and arrows, research models in academic journals, which are not the same thing. Like you're talking, when I hear you talking, I'm, I'm hearing, we apply the scientific method. We, we emphasize the importance of, observa of critical observation and critical analysis and problem solving and all of these things that are so central to what, the, what I view, and I, I think you also view as being the core of what uh, science and IO psychology are, and that that is, a, that is really the contribution, that we're, we're, we're bringing the science to practice and we, we blend those worlds as well as we can. Uh, that's yeah, that's really that really resonates very strongly with me. <laughs>
it's the most exciting thing that I find is that it gives us a really good excuse to work with um, students. So just within the last week, I've had a couple conversations with some APDs that want to do some research and we're like, we have more data than we could like have time for. So yes, let's, you know, collaborate. And I would love to work with, I love working with students. I think that was going to, my biggest thing that I was like afraid I was going to miss when I decided not to go into academia. Mm. So I found ways to uh, get around that and still work with some students. Wow. So, well, so related to working with students, um, what, uh, uh, probably be our, our, our last discussion point today. Um, you, you are both, uh, in, uh, I think you're both playing a lot of, of, desirable roles, a lot of things that people want to do, like be their own uh, entrepreneurs, be engaged with the communities, uh, be engaged with professional organizations. Uh, uh, in some ways, it's almost like you're, to, to me, I, when I think of the things your organizations are doing, it, it, it almost seems like the the prototype of a corporate social, like a true corporate social responsibility, like having an organization that's that's engaged and helping and responsible and promoting uh, promoting good values like the science and 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 the the social missions that you promote. How, uh, especially in relation to students, how do you maintain all of that at the same time? Like how how do you balance so many competing demands and uh, 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 so many competing uh, uh, goals and it and and maintain almost? I mean, I think I heard the word role model earlier. Like how do you be someone? that crosses all those worlds and uh, serve as a good example to students and uh, and still meet all of your own goals and sleep. Where do you find time to sleep and all that? Uh, I don't know, Victoria, maybe you want to try first? Yeah, so when you build, and I think this goes back to the Ben and Jerry's conversation, when you build a company truly aligned with your values, although I don't see them as competing goals, right? Like I see mm. like my PSYOP work, um, you know, we, we're working with uh, a very major client that as someone I met through PSYOP just called us up and now we're working with his company, right? And so like mm. I, me being involved in the IO network and letting my, my field, letting my community know what I do uh, is good for business. And it's good for my type of business because I'm not beating anyone over the head with my company. You just know me and you see me and you know what I'm about. And I try to just share good content and good research and like valuable stuff. And then they come back around. And so like with the PSYOP and even with teaching, like I taught, I really missed being in the classroom last semester. So I taught at a local business school here in Pittsburgh, just, just the one class. And it was like a, a, a human resource management. And it's like, how am I adding this to my calendar? But like, I tested out some content with them. Right. And they gave me feedback and, and just me like with like being an entrepreneur, being your own boss, you have to manage your energy so intentionally. And I'm an extrovert to the umpteenth degree and me being in a classroom, I love both your faces. That's probably why I didn't end up in academia. Um, <laughs> but me being in the classroom energized me and I could bring that energy to my clients and to all the creative work I do, you know? So like, I see it all interweaving and building a company that really values, I mean, you get too much into like wellness and, and health, but to, that values our employees' well-being and our own. And I can take three hours off to take my dad or doctor's appointment. And I usually have a hard stop at 536. I, I, I broke my rule for y'all today, just oh. so you know. <laughs> um, but to be with my son, right? And so I feel like it when it all is related and you see it as this web that you can really create the life you want for yourself and all the things that we know is IO. So like another longer story for another day, but I burnt out at my last corporate job. I burnt out. Mm. I was the IO that burnt out. I was like, I, I was like the medical doctor telling my patients not to smoke and I'm out smoking a pack a day. Right. So how do I build a company that doesn't result in my employees burning out or me burning out. So that's mm. how I would answer that question. And I do mm. sleep, but you know, it could be better, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I totally agree with what you say about not seeing them as like separate and they're mm. not competing. like for me, I think of it the same way. There's like, there's no lines. They're all kind of like blurred together somehow. Um, but I do not have kids. So for me, I just probably, 
I'm able to spend more time than most people because I don't have that family obligation. Mm -hmm. So I can just go, go, go. (laughs) So sometimes I don't know if I'm the best role model because I do work a lot and like Mm. more than I should, but like, that's what I love to do. That's what makes me happy. Like I get excited about the work I do. So it doesn't feel like work. It feels like I'm just accomplishing things and doing cool things and asking fun questions and doing, you know, meeting fun people. And it it doesn't feel like work to me at all, but I do see other people like look at me and want similar things. And I'm like, you have to really want it. Like really want it. If you go for something like this, because it will take all of your time and energy, all of it. Wow. Uh, That's, uh, yeah, even, yeah, even with that, it sounds like you're living the dream, both of you. Uh, I'm having fun. Yeah. I'm having fun. Yeah. Definitely having fun. Well, that yeah, that's excellent. I and I hope I hope this discussion inspires a few folks uh, as well. I, you know, there's there are a lot of grad students, especially out there, not quite sure what their path uh, is and where it's going to take them. Uh, and knowing this is a, a realistic path, and also actually one of the most common questions I get is, I, I really like some of the freedom and the research focus of of uh, an academic career. But I kind of also want to make a difference in organizations on a day-to-day basis. And it seems like there's a real path for that here um, based on, on on what you two have shared. So that's that's just fantastic. So so thank you both so much. Uh, this, is, this has just been great. <laughs> thank you for having us. Yeah, this was fun. Oh, the times were hard and the wages low. Leave a Johnny, leave a... I guess it's time for us to go. And it's time for us to leave her. Leave a Johnny, leave her. Oh, leave a Johnny, leave her. For the voyage is done and the winds don't blow. And it's time for us to leave her. That's it for another gig. To stay in touch, subscribe on YouTube, check out our website at thegig.online, join our LinkedIn group, sign up for our email notification list, and join our Discord. So many ways to connect. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time for another great I.O. get-together.